How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Tom Rayner uses that analogy to explain how you bring spiritual renewal to a dying church in his book, Eating the Elephant. How do you rebuild broken lives and broken ministries? You recover from brokenness one step at a time. Don Bennett was the first amputee to climb to the top of 14,410-foot Mount Rainier. Don climbed the mountain on one leg and two crutches. It took him two tries. He had to turn back 410 feet from the summit because of a howling storm on his first attempt. He planted a flag on the top after five days of hard climbing on his second attempt. Someone asked Don how he did it. He replied, one hop at a time. Don explained, I just said to myself, anybody can hop from here to there. And I would. And when the going got roughest and I was really exhausted, that's when I would look down at the path ahead and say to myself, you just have to take one more step. And anybody can do that. And I would. Then Don pointed out that you really need a team to climb a mountain like Mount Rainier. And he said, you can't do it alone, by yourself. Nehemiah chapter 3 is 32 verses of names and places that bore most people, so much that preachers tend to skip over chapters like these in the Bible. Who cares that Hananiah the son of Shelemiah repaired a section of the wall of Jerusalem? Well, I hope to show you that Nehemiah 3 is one of the more important chapters in the book and is interesting and valuable for our spiritual lives today. Nehemiah explains how they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, one brick, one stone at a time, and we can apply those principles to our lives today. The point of this chapter is a vital one for spiritual renewal. Recovery requires teamwork. Recovery requires teamwork. You can't do it alone. And you will achieve it one bite, one hop, at a time. Spiritual recovery is rarely accomplished in isolation. We grow together or we don't grow at all. There's a spiritual principle of interdependence that undergirds all lasting spiritual growth. The same principle of interdependence that was the foundation for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is the foundation for the church in the New Testament. We need each other, and any lasting spiritual recovery requires teamwork. So if you mark your Bibles... Underline every time you see the words next to him or after them in Nehemiah 3. I counted 28 times that the words are used in this chapter. Over and over again we read, Next to him they made repairs, and after them others made repairs on the wall. 
recovery requires teamwork. This is what being part of a church means. When we become a member of a local church, we are making a tangible commitment to spiritual interdependence. We are saying by our membership, I need you and you need me. We are saying that we cannot grow on our own. We rebuild our broken worlds in community with others who are rebuilding their broken worlds. We grow together or we don't grow at all. That's what a local church is all about. There's rarely any individual spiritual renewal that does not affect the church as a whole. So let's take a look at four principles of recovery in Nehemiah chapter 3. Principle number one, prioritize the problems one bite at a time. Everyone eats their food one bite at a time. Everyone puts their shoes on one shoe at a time. Everyone walks through life one step at a time. But the question is, which step is first? Which direction do we go when faced with all of the important responsibilities in life? The answers to those kinds of questions mean prioritizing the problems which we face and taking them one problem at a time. The first major lesson I learned from this chapter comes from the location of the chapter in the context of the book as a whole. Nehemiah came as governor of the province. His job was to rebuild the nation. There were many other important tasks which needed to be done in rebuilding the nation. There were enemies who threatened the people in chapter 4. There was financial corruption which exploited the people and kept them in poverty, according to chapter 5. But Nehemiah explained the first priority in chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate, and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. Why rebuild the walls first? Because the walls represented security in the ancient Near Eastern world. Nehemiah knew that the people would not feel secure enough to tackle the other problems they faced until the walls were rebuilt and they felt secure. When people feel insecure, they rarely work well on other tasks. Furthermore, rebuilding the walls would give them a win, a sense of accomplishment, and they needed a tangible win for encouragement and motivation. So Nehemiah started with the walls. But why the walls of Jerusalem? There were many other towns and villages in the province which were also vulnerable. Jerusalem was the capital city. She was the hub of the nation, and you start at the core to work out to the other territories. In fact, Nehemiah enlisted the help of many from the surrounding towns and villages to rebuild Jerusalem. Notice in verse 2, the men from the city of Jericho, 15 miles east of Jerusalem, helped rebuild the walls of the city. Then there were the men of Tekoa, 10 miles to the south of Jerusalem, in verse 5. 
Nehemiah also enlisted help from the towns of Gibeon, Mizpah, Zenoa, Beit Hekerim, Beit Zur, and Kela. When you read through the chapter, it is obvious that the people from around the region united to work on the walls of Jerusalem. The first priority was the walls. It's the same principle in the church. Tackle one task at a time. No one can do everything at once. If a local church tries to meet every need and every problem at the same time, the ministry will fail to be a real source of spiritual healing for anyone. Keep the main thing the main thing until you are ready to move to the next main thing. The same is true on a personal level in our own rebuilding of our lives. Don't try to fix everything at once in your broken world. Focus on the main thing first. This is the way to make progress in your lives one step at a time. As I observe people, I notice that one of the greatest hindrances to spiritual growth is the tendency to dream big dreams without working on the little realities of life. Our tendency when beginning a spiritual recovery is to say, well, when I get things together, then I'm going to get this great job, or I'm going to perform this great ministry for the Lord, I'm going to do big things once I get everything together. So we dream big and think about all the great things we can do someday. Now, there is, of course, nothing wrong with having a vision for what we can do for the Lord, but sometimes we get so caught up in what we might do tomorrow that we neglect what we must do today. It may be boring, but before we can be president of the company, we have to work in the office, and we don't get to be president if we neglect the office work. Be faithful in the little tasks so God can use you for his big goals. As you read through this chapter, you will see that nobody tried to rebuild the whole city by themselves. Each person tackled one little piece of the project. One person rebuilt a set of doors, and another group worked on a gate. Brick by brick, the work got done. Theologian Carl Henry was once invited to a major university to give lectures on Christianity. His host was an energetic young man named Doug Coe, who later went on to have a great ministry among the government workers in Washington, D.C., Coe had this great vision for reaching the University for Christ. He put together a planning committee, chose the subject, picked the date, and reserved the largest hall he could get at the University. Dr. Henry and Doug Coe were standing backstage just before the first lecture, and Coe looked through the curtain. He was shocked. There was no one there. He had forgotten to advertise the event, so the only people who came were the members of his own committee. My friends, we often focus on the exciting aspects of the vision while neglecting the mundane elements that make recovery successful. They rebuilt the walls, brick by brick and stone by stone. We rebuild our lives and our ministries piece by piece and day by day. 
The little things make a big difference in the end, as daily changes add up to life transformation. We must prioritize our efforts if we want to have success in our recovery. Secondly, second principle, we must manage the recovery one bite at a time. Look at Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Joiada, the son of Pesaia, and Meshulam, the son of Besodea, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Next to them, Melatiah the Gibeonite, and Jadon the Maranathite, the men of Gibeah and of Mizpah, also made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel the son of Hariah of the goldsmiths made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramoth, made repairs opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabniah, made repairs. Malkijah, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of Pehath-Mohab, repaired another section and the Tower of Furnaces. And next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs, he and his daughters. This was a big job. Even by the smallest estimates, the city of Jerusalem was about two miles in circumference and covered about 100 acres. The only way to tackle such a big job with volunteer labor was to break it up into manageable pieces. Everyone cannot do everything, whether it is rebuilding a city or functioning as a church. Each must do their part, so the work of the whole gets done. If you read the chapter while looking at a, at a map of the city, you will see that the rebuilding of the walls starts with the sheep gate in verse 1 and proceeds counterclockwise around the city until we end up with the sheep gate again in verse 32. Nehemiah 3 is organized around the ten city gates, which are each identified by name in the chapter. Nehemiah divided up the work into 42 sections around the city wall, so that the actual task for each group was manageable. He delegated the responsibility for the work to small groups of people who worked together on each section, each piece. Now, the sections were not equal, because in some cases the damage may not have been as extensive as other places or because the resources of one group were greater than the resources of another group. For example, most of the sections average about 250 feet in length, but one section in verse 13 was about 1,500 feet long. In most cases, the wall was about 4 to 8 feet thick, but in one section called the broad wall in verse 8, the wall was about 22 feet thick. 
So you cannot compare the jobs one with another because the difficulty of the task and the resources of the people vary from one task to another, from one section to another. In the same way, we must be careful not to compare the ministries of individuals with one another because there are often circumstances and challenges we may not know about. Each of us have different resources and different challenges we face in life. God calls us to be faithful to him, not to compare ourselves with others. God knows what you are going through, and God knows what you face. Be faithful to the assignment God gives to you, my friends. Don't worry about what others are doing or not doing. You are pulling your weight when you are doing what God asks of you. That's your responsibility. Teamwork is essential in the church if any lasting renewal is to take place in people's lives. Joe Stoll, former president of Moody Bible Institute, tells of an encounter with some humpback whales which he and his wife enjoyed watching off the coast of Hawaii one year. Humpback whales reach about 40 feet and weigh about one ton per foot when mature. The whales travel from Alaska each year to give birth to calves in the warm waters of Hawaii. The calves weigh about six tons at birth and are born tail first, because if they were born head first, these air-breathing mammals would drown before the birth process was completed. Another adult whale comes alongside and pushes the calf up to the surface so it can take its first breath. These whales, these humpback whales, sing a song which changes slightly each year. The incredible thing that is, is that every humpback whale in the world sings the same changed version of the song each year. What a wonderful picture of the interdependence of the church. Change is essential for spiritual growth, we know that, but it not, must not be change that takes place in a vacuum. Spiritual change was designed by God to take place in the context of an interdependent body of believers called the church. And here is the key. All the whales in the world may sing the same song, but all the whales cannot help each calf. In the church, we sing the same song, but the whole church cannot help each person with his or her spiritual struggles. For that matter, the pastor cannot possibly spend equal time with everyone. The principle of interdependence means that the body must work in small manageable units which come alongside the hurting person and hold him or her up for spiritual air. My friends, who do you have in your life that is holding you up so you can breathe? Who are you holding up so they can breathe? First, prioritize the problems one bite at a time. Second, 
manage the recovery one bite at a time. Third, mobilize the people one bite at a time. We read in verses 28 to 32, Above the horse gate, the priests carried out repairs each in front of his house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, carried out repairs in front of his house. And after him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, carried out repairs. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, carried out repairs in front of his own quarters. After him, Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths, carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants in front of the inspection gate, and as far as the upper room of the corner. Between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. I'm struck by the wide variety of people who were involved in this rebuilding process. They come from all walks of life, places, and backgrounds. This was not a job left to the professionals. It was a job for everyone. I'm reminded that we as churches are far too much like a football game in Foxborough Stadium. There are 65,000 fans up in the stands badly in need of exercise, watching 22 men on the field badly in need of rest. For the church to be healthy, the way God designed the church to be, we must mobilize everyone to be part of the ministry. It must not be left to the professional pastors, counselors, and administrators. There is a place for everyone in a healthy faith community. There is a place for you and for me. Let's take a quick look at Nehemiah chapter 3 to see what I'm talking about. The work began with the high priest and the other priests in verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. The priests are also mentioned in verses 22 and 28. The Levites are mentioned in verse 17. Certainly the work must begin with the leaders of the nation, you will notice in verse 1 that they consecrated the work, meaning that this was viewed as a spiritual work dedicated to God. Goldsmiths and perfume makers are mentioned in verses 8, 31, and 32. Temple servants in verse 26 and city policemen or guards in verse 29 are also mentioned as participating. The city officials or rulers were active in the manual labor because they are repeatedly mentioned throughout the chapter. Merchants are mentioned in verse 32 as rebuilding the walls, despite the fact that they were used to handling money, not stone blocks. One writer notes that bachelors are mentioned in verse 23 because these two men lived in the same house. One man even helped make repairs with his daughters who were specifically mentioned. So women helped as well, according to verse 12. 
There is one sad note in the chapter which is found in verse 5. The nobles from the town of Tekoa did not participate in the work, despite the fact that many from their town did. As one writer put it, there are always a few turkeys in the bunch. The text literally says that these nobles did not put their shoulders into the yoke. In any church there are always those who, for one reason or another, enjoy the benefits of the church but don't put their shoulders into the work. But you notice that didn't stop the men of Tekoa from working. In fact, they did double duty, because verse 27 tells us that they also repaired a, se a second section of the wall. So don't let the absence of someone stop you from getting involved in the work of the ministry. The point is that everyone was involved in the work of rebuilding the city. Vig Olson, missionary to Bangladesh, who wrote the book Doktar, was impressed with this chapter. He had helped rebuild 10,000 houses in war-ravaged Bangladesh in 1972, and he found encouragement from the fact, as he put it, quote, no expert builders were listed in the Holy Land Brigade. The life of the church must not be limited to the four walls of the building if the church is truly dedicated to spiritual recovery ministries. We cannot leave the ministry of spiritual recovery to the professionals. What we do within the walls of the church building is important, but much of any real recovery is going to take place outside the walls of the building as people serve people in their homes and in their neighborhoods. There is a job for everyone to do in a church dedicated to spiritual recovery. So first of all, Prioritize the problems one bite at a time. Second, manage the recovery one bite at a time. And third, mobilize the people one bite at a time. And the fourth principle, focus the resources one bite at a time. Focus the resources. There are two ways to focus our resources when deciding where to work and what to do. We can work where there is a personal interest or stake in the matter, or we can work where there is a personal passion. In other words, serve where you have skin in the game. And we see this in the chapter. They work where there is a personal interest. Repeatedly throughout the chapter, you will find people mentioned who are working on the wall in front of their houses. They had a personal stake, a vested interest in the success of the wall because it protected their families. It was right there. So they were highly motivated to do a good job. Look at verses 10, 23, 26, 28, 29, and 30. Each time we are told that a person made repairs on the wall opposite his house or in front of his house, or beside his house. They had skin in the game. And the point I wish to make is that in any ministry, people are motivated much more by internal drives than by external prodding. 
A preacher can preach about this need or that need, but when your life is touched by a personal need that you see, you will be highly motivated to do something about it. One way to begin your own personal recovery as a Christian is to work where there is a personal interest. The work you do will be therapeutic for you and beneficial for the church. Often the needs you experience are the places God wants to use you to meet the needs that others experience. If you are burdened about a specific need, then maybe God wants you to do something about that need. He is calling you to action. So work where there is a personal interest to grow in Christ. Second, work where there is a personal passion to experience God's recovery. Work where there is a personal passion. Take a look at verse 20. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the doorway of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Zealously repaired. The Hebrew term translated zealously comes from a root which means to burn, and is usually used for burning with anger. It means to be passionate about something. Baruch is passionate about this work of rebuilding the wall. He was so passionate that he rebuilt two sections of the wall, because the Hebrew word for another probably indicates that he had already worked on one section. In fact, six other times this term is used, verses 11, 19, 21, 22, 24, and 30. There were a number of people who did double duty in the rebuilding project. My friends, there are always double duty people in every church. They are the people who have a passion for the ministry, so they work extra hard. Any ministry is indebted to its double-duty workers for its success. Personal passion for the work drives people to achieve much for the Lord. I fear that often what happens is that people are working in the church or in ministries, but they are working in the wrong places. It's easy to get into the program mentality of church life and just plug holes with people. But that's a sure way to kill the vitality of our own spiritual growth. It is hard to stay motivated, to stay excited when we are doing something just because somebody has to do it. I guess it's just my turn to carry my cross and do what I absolutely hate doing. No, no. The way to maintain an exciting and growing and passionate ministry is for each of us to serve where each of us have a passion for serving. And this is the road to spiritual recovery in our lives, and the benefit comes to the church. My friends, as you get involved in using your talents for Christ, serve where you have a passion, because it will energize you instead of discourage you. 
Say no to those areas in which you have no interest. Unplug from the ministry where you have no interest or passion and plug into the ministry that energizes and grows you. Sometimes God re redirects a whole church by people he brings into the fellowship. They may not match the programs already in existence, so change the programs to match the people and their passions. Don't be a slave to programs. People grow people, and people grow as they serve other people. So, my friends, if you are attempting a spiritual recovery, don't do it on your own. Recovery requires teamwork. Do it with others. One of the greatest mistakes we can make in spiritual renewal is the mistake of independence. All genuine, long-term, lasting renewal is developed through interdependence, not independence. Those who work in counseling ministries tell us that real recovery takes place best in the context of a church which is focused on recovery because real recovery requires teamwork. The community helps the recovery. Have you lost your enthusiasm for church? If so, it may be that you are no longer involved in any ministry that you care about. You may not be doing anything of eternal value. Your spiritual life will become dull and boring when you are not involved with work that has eternal value. It's hard to experience spiritual renewal without becoming active in spiritual ministry. If you really want to grow spiritually, get involved in serving with other people to accomplish a common goal. Just take it one bite at a time. 